Money FM 89.3, the best of prime time. In the spotlight on Money FM 89.3. Thanks for joining us on Money FM 89.3. I'm Bharati Jagdish. Now, we're in the midst of a digital revolution, aren't we? Where the line between our physical world and cyberspace is blurring. Even after the crypto markets crashed this year, there are still a number of people who believe there's a future for digital assets and blockchain technology. A regulated variety of crypto, perhaps. Central bank digital currencies, or CBDCs. However, according to American libertarian think tank, the Cato Institute, CBDCs and freedom are incompatible. And actually, they are the government's attempt to protect its privileged position and to exert even more control over people's money. How true is that statement and how do CBDCs actually fit into the larger cryptocurrency landscape? Let's find out more from a former head of fintech at the Bank of England, who is currently director of CBDCs and financial market infrastructure at Fireblocks. They're a provider of crypto custody technology. Varun Paul joins us. Hi, Varun. Hi, thanks for having me on the show. Varun, first of all, let's distinguish between cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin, Ethereum and CBDCs. Sure. Well, crypto assets, um, Bitcoin, Ethereum are you know, completely private chain, uh, decentralizes the idea to, uh, behind it. The idea is of a central bank digital currency is to take that technology that issue it from the central bank. So it merges the old world and the new world, if you like. Mm, so that's the thing. Uh, we just talked to you about what the Cato Institute has been saying about this. They say that actually CBDCs go against the very spirit of decentralized finance. It's the government's attempt to protect its privileged position to exert more control over people's money. How do you read this? Yeah, I've heard this concern a lot. And look, I understand it. But I think the truth is that it's a societal choice. And in most societies, people simply wouldn't use a form of money, a new form of money, a CBDC, if it gave the government complete control. And I think central banks completely understand that. And that's why they're talking more about cash-like instruments, you know, things that might actually protect and maintain a degree of anonymity. The other thing to say is that a lot of this concern is about surveillance. And the tech today, today's tech, whether you're paying by cards or whatever, it does allow a degree of surveillance from the government. But it's societal norms and laws that prevent that. And now the tech may change, but it's the societal norms and the laws that will define how it is used. And so I think in most countries around the world, that is the key thing to remember. So CBDCs essentially, can they just be seen as government-sanctioned cryptocurrency? Would that be the simplest way to understand this? That's a nice way of thinking of it, yeah. <laughs> a, a government, a publicly trusted form of crypto or digital asset. Okay, so where does this leave normal money, old-fashioned money? Because some might say that, you know, we're trading in numbers anyway. I mean, how many of us have actually seen the cash that we put in our bank accounts or the cash that we actually pay government agencies, for example? Exactly. I mean, if you think about money, it's evolved hugely over the past hundreds and thousands of years. And uh, we've moved from various forms. And the the one we're most familiar with in the past few decades has been the, the cash notes, the bank notes. But as you say, we don't really use that anymore. And most of our money is electronic these days. So uh, it is a natural evolution uh, into a a new form of what we call public money. And and a lot of the money we interact with today, so if I go to a bank and ask for a loan, that is actually private money from that commercial bank that has issued it. It is backed by central bank public money. But the really only bit that is a central bank issued form of money is that bank note. 
And so what we're really talking about is an evolution of that banknote, um, where right now we have no equivalent in the digital form that I can hold in my hand that is a publicly trusted form of money. And that's that's what the CBDC is really about. Mm, so we're talking about tokens that we can hold in our hand? Well, yeah, uh, you know, digital tokens, they might be in a wallet, they might be accessible from a mobile phone, they might be accessible from a, from a, a, a new form of kind of debit card t- technology, who knows. But the idea is it's a, a, exactly as you say, some kind of token, not something physical, uh, but yes. Why are governments so interested in doing this at this point? I think what's happened, what we've seen over the past few years is an acceleration in the adoption of uh, crypto assets and uh, an evolution in the technology. It's, it's become more uh, resilient. It's become more, it's been able to handle more transactions. And, and the cybersecurity has improved. Uh, you know, the, the wallet technology to, to hold these assets is far better than it was three or four years ago. Uh, and that's through, you know, uh, innovations uh, at companies like Firebox. Now, I, because of that, I think we've passed a tipping point where institutions are uh, engaging more and more in the market whether they're looking to buy and hold or to trade or to simply streamline their operations, their treasury operations, their foreign exchange operations. And so digitizing in this way really has an opportunity to streamline the financial system. And I think we have passed a tipping point. And there's regulators, central banks all are seeing that. And they're saying, if this ecosystem is going to continue to thrive, and if in three to four to five years' time we're going to have an ecosystem of stable coins, uh, crypto assets, NFTs, tokens of all sorts, whether they're financial assets or physical assets tokenized, then there needs to be something at the heart of that that underpins the value of all of it and make sure it all works together and make sure it connects to the real world, whether it's to pay your taxes or whatever it is. And I think that's why governments see the role for a central bank digital currency. The thing is, the Monetary Authority of Singapore recently said that while it supports fintech in general, It is contemplating imposing stricter rules on retail crypto investments and cryptocurrencies. And it said in in pretty harsh terms that it regards cryptocurrencies as unsuitable for use as money and also as highly hazardous for retail investors. Clearly, many are now questioning if crypto acceptance is really the way to go. In such an environment, how does a government or central bank clarify the distinction between cryptocurrencies and CBDCs and increase acceptance? Yeah, it's a really good point. And look, it, a lot of people lost a lot of money in the, in the recent downturn. So you can understand why anyone who's responsible for consumer protection would be out there saying, this is, you need to be careful with this. This is, you've got to understand what you're buying, what you're trading. And so... Uh, you know, I completely understand why the Monetary Authority of Singapore is saying you must understand this and it may not work as a currency if, if the attributes of a currency are stability and so on. But some of the stablecoins have done well in this environment and they do serve a purpose as a payment method, especially if they are more efficient. So I think as I was trying to describe, I think you should think of central bank digital currency as part of the ecosystem. And I think when they arrive, it may take years they will be the publicly trusted form. You know, it may be that, that our grandparents won't like to engage with a off-the-wall um, a private crypto asset, but they might trust a centrally, central bank-issued uh, form of a digital asset. And, and that may be a requirement of, of the society we get to at that time. So I think the distinction is really important, um, and I think they will exist side by side. And I, I also believe they will support each other. Like I said, the CBDC in the future ecosystem will underpin the value of those other assets. And actually, they will benefit from that. Having something at the center that gives 
provides trust, provides credibility, um, will actually uh, encourage further innovation. And I think that's really important that the, the two, the public and the private, work together. Varun, how soon might we have CBDCs as a mainstream? It really varies around the world. There are some countries out there that are saying we want to do this in 2023, we want to do this in 2024. And that takes a lot of ambition, um, whether that's you know Brazil and India talking uh, about that kind of rate. But it's, it, other countries will take a lot longer. And the technology has some way to go still. Um, and a lot of countries out there, you know, nearly every, I mean, 90% of the central banks around the world are, are experimenting. Uh, or, or working on it. But it will take time to test um, and continue to develop the tech. And you've got to remember that uh, when it's a form of national currency, a, a national critical infrastructure, critical payment system, it's got to have the highest levels of resilience. And so there'll be lots of testing. So a lot of countries are saying in the next three to five years, we can expect something. And I think that's probably about right. What are the vulnerabilities that governments and people have to be aware of here? Yeah, well, first, I think some of the benefits are that you can have programmable money. You can have ways to make micropayments uh, at much lower cost. Fundamentally, going digital makes it easier to lower cost and increase access. So a country which has really poor um, banking access may benefit from a central bank digital currency. On the flip side... Um, the resilience is key. It, it, in theory, can be more resilient because it's distributed, but we've got to test it. It's completely, uh, if you think of it as it's really replatforming the whole economy. So that will take time to make sure you don't completely disrupt the financial system overnight. And as I mentioned, you've got to, I think the tech has a little bit of a way to go to, to be able to match the number of transactions and the complete uh, no-failure regime kind of that, that you need for a national payment infrastructure. But we are getting there. Now, the Monetary Authority of Singapore, Varun, also explored the concept of a tokenized Singapore dollar for interbank payment in the initial phase. After that, they collaborated with the Bank of Canada to study the use of CBDs for cross-border and cross-currency payments. One concern, of course, is whether the systems set up by individual countries are interoperable. What should central banks be considering in their tech stack for CBDCs? Really good question, and interoperability is key. Central banks really know this. They've spent many decades on this, and they try to develop global standards. And they've also seen the lack, what happens when you have a lack of global standards or a lack of interoperability in cross-border payments. And that's why the Jasper Rubin project was designed to look at the cross-border problem. And there's a group of central banks trying to develop those standards and to ensure that the next wave of innovation has the degree of interoperability between central banks built in. And there's two things I'd say on the text that one is that, that central banks really need to think carefully about cybersecurity. Um, like I mentioned, the latest advances in multi-party computation, MPC wallet technology, allows uh, a much more secure way to hold the asset. So, so in terms of the tech stack, I think cybersecurity is got to come front and center when you're thinking about a digital currency like this. And going back to the point about interoperability, uh, one of the things that concerns me um, in the way that it's being developed at the moment is that there's been lots of testing at the moment and the idea that you might develop a CBDC solution based on a closed loop or a private network. My concern is that, that if you develop in that world, you won't be able to interact with the broader digital asset ecosystem that is developing out there. Now, I completely understand the privacy and the security reasons for doing that, but there's so much innovation happening out there in the public chains, and I think there's a risk if it's going to take three to five years for that central bank to develop it, 
that they've developed something that cannot interact with the rest of the ecosystem. What we're seeing is a move towards private forks of public blockchains. And I think that's a really sensible move in a world that is moving and innovating so quickly. Right. We'll certainly be watching that space. Thank you very much, Varun. Varun Paul, Director of CBDCs and Financial Market Infrastructure at Fireblocks. They provide crypto custody technology. Thanks for joining us on Primetime, Varun. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.